Hi, everybody. Welcome to Bad Science, the show that breaks down the science of a movie with a comedian and a scientist. And today we are discussing Monsters, Inc., which came out 20 years ago, I learned today, and totally freaked me out. So I will be asking about the Child Detection Agency, Sustainable Scream Energy, and we will be getting updates on everything COVID-19 related. But first, a short word from our sponsor. Bad science. Did the movie get it right? Bad science. Or will we have to fight? Hi everyone, I'm your host Ethan Edinburgh and today I've got two wonderful guests joining the program. First up, she's currently the science communication lead for the COVID Tracking Project, a microbiologist and infectious disease epidemiologist, Jessica Malati Rivera. Hi. How's it going, Jessica? Good, good. Good to talk to you. Today we're talking about Monsters, Inc. So obviously my big question for you is did you have fears of monsters growing up? I, you know, I don't know if it was monsters, but I was and maybe still am afraid of the dark. Ooh, um, really? Yeah, I, I get I can really spook myself out. I <laughs> am like if there are dark corners of the hall and I've watched too many like murder mystery things, yeah. I can definitely like, you know, give myself the heebie-jeebies when I'm walking in the hallway. <laughs> get into your own head. I feel like that's a podcast in and of itself. Just spooking yourself. Why do we spook ourselves? I don't know. I don't know. I, I regret it every time. And I, I do it constantly. Same. I could talk about this too much. And, it, and it's just the problem is it's too easy. Like why isn't it as easy to like get motivated to work out? That should be easy. But instead, just like staring into a dark corner and freaking myself out for an hour is like the easiest thing in the world. Totally. Totally. I feel like my fears have only increased the older that I've gotten. It's not like those irrational fears have faded. They've just gotten worse because of the reality of life. I'm like, oh God, life is so scary. This has just turned into a terrible podcast for children. If you are young and listening to this, your fears are only getting exponentially worse. Sorry. Sorry. Um, well, it's wonderful to have you on the program and joining us is a comedian a performer and a writer i'm very happy to have her on mimi von Schack. welcome to the show thank you so much i can't even believe my name is being said next to someone like jessica she's so impressive and it gives me such peace to know that she is also afraid of the dark <laughs> that just validates everything thank you so much jessica oh, I'm, I'm so glad to, to calm any fears <laughs> i was gonna ask you the the same thing so i'm glad that you sort of answered it there if you were afraid of monsters growing up or if you had any other weird fears or currently still do i definitely currently still do i think you know i grew up on the east coast and i think my big fear wasn't so much monsters as it was like, you know, like a Victorian woman or something. <laughs> the ghost of I feel like that's a very East Coast fear. You're afraid like a woman in a white gown. She's always in a white gown. is going to like show up at the end of your bed or something. And I think that's still a fear of mine. Like if my leg is peeking out of the covers at night, I'm like, well, there it is. Bait for the Victorian woman. <laughs> Come and grab it. I'm like, I'm just going to have to deal with it then. Yeah. So that was like, that's still legitimately kind of a fear. Not so much now because I live in Los Angeles and 
you know, they just don't seem as rampant here. So what's the West Coast version of that? Is it like a surfer dude with long blonde hair <laughs> waiting at the end of your bed? It's a creepy serial killer, right? It's the one oh, who's yeah. got like a fetish or some weird obsession with some Hollywood type. and He's charging you extra for avocado. <laughs> The ghost of someone who really hates improv comedians coming for me. <laughs> Saw too many bad shows and they're like, no. Yeah, just keeps accusing you of having written it. <laughs> no, it was all pre-prepared. You didn't take my suggestion. Yeah. Um, so my big question today, I always want to start with a big one. And today, since we have you on, Jessica, I've got to know how we're doing with this vaccine distribution. I've been trying to keep up, trying to keep tabs, but there's a lot of information going around. So how are you feeling about the current status of things? You know, I am feeling optimistic. And I will say if anybody has followed me, they've probably known that I err on the side of pessimism, usually, or just at least cautious optimism. But I feel really good, especially now that we've got a third safe and effective vaccine in our arsenal to fight against this pandemic. Um, the fact that it is a single dose, the fact that it's, you know, easily, uh, you know, shippable and easily stored is going to be a game changer in reaching those hard to reach places and responding to places that are what we call vaccine deserts. And, you know, right now, it seems like we're around 2 million doses administered a day. And this could bring us up to about 3 million a day, which could get us to these like herd immunity ish type numbers, you know, maybe before the fall. That's the hope. Okay, so this is all great information. I'm so glad that you're bringing in this optimistic attitude about it. That's already helping me. And <laughs> secondly, I have a few questions on things even that you you just mentioned. Number one, the herd immunity that everyone shoots yeah. out there, what exactly constitutes a herd immunity? What percentage of people need to be immune for this? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think that it's important to just remember that herd immunity really is exclusive to the context of mass vaccination. So we cannot presume that that can be achieved through natural infection because immunity varies so much from person to person. And so we know that vaccines stimulate long-term kind of memory type uh, immune responses. And that's why we are using, you know, one of that tool to achieve that. Um, and some of the estimates say, you know, between 70 to 85%, which is a large enough range that people are like, what does that actually mean? It just means that if we get at least three quarters of the country vaccinated, and if we're talking about people who were the vaccines are approved of, so approved for, so that's like 16 and over at this point, that is a good chunk of the population where we could potentially reduce transmission to a very, very low rate. And we reduce the risk of kind of continuous outbreaks where we have to kind of go shutting down and closures and the kind of the yo-yo effect that we've seen. Mm -hmm. You know, when you compare this to other diseases, like say measles, for instance, measles is an extremely infectious disease. It's the kind of disease that you get a notification on your phone. If you've just left the airport and somebody who had measles was in that airport, you're going to know about it because it lingers in the air. That's not really the case with COVID. And so because of that, uh, the threshold is not as high as it is for measles, the threshold for measles is north of 90%. When we start to see vaccine rates for the MMR vaccine dip below 90, uh, that's when we start to see outbreaks of measles occur. And so we think that it's probably going to be closer to 70 plus percent to achieve that goal. Okay. I, I have more, uh, as you call them, great questions. I'm not going to call them that. <laughs> seems narcissistic. Um, however, here's a, here's a silly one that just came to mind. You're talking about the measles virus as well. I feel like with sound waves, you know, how it's like we're always being bombarded with sound waves, but we can't see them or like 
you know, cell phone uh, radiation or whatever. Like there's all these things just constantly. Is that how these viruses are? They're just in the air and we need to be vaccinated. And if not, we're just walking through clouds of virus all our lives. That is such a good question. And I just want to dispel any fears or paranoia about that. That's not the primary route of infection for something like COVID-19. Uh, the main driver of infections is prolonged direct exposure to an infected person. Mm. Uh, you're not just kind of walking into infectious plumes of virus no matter where you go. Mm. Now, there are environments like indoor environments that are more high risk because of how the air is not being circulated. Like an IHOP. <laughs> <laughs> That's an example. Yes. Indoor dining is not recommended at the moment because of that. Um, but, you know, it's things in the air kind of dissipate. They don't uh, have the infectious dose um, in the same way as a direct contact with somebody who is like shedding infectious droplets in front of you. So it's, it's a little bit different. Okay. Got you. That makes sense. And once again, you are relieving my stress. So, so Good. far... This is going very well. Um, the one shot, the the Johnson and Johnson vaccine that I think you were referencing, if I'm not uh, yes. mistaken, people are a little uh, weary of this, or I guess red flags go up because of that 65% efficacy that mm -hmm. has been talked about. So there's a very distinct difference between efficacy and effectiveness, right? And Correct. it's important that people know about that, right? Correct. And it's also uh, very inaccurate to presume that the conclusion that all that amazing, juicy 62 pages worth of data, uh, it, it, you know, it's, 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 not it's not correct to assume that that's all of what J&J's uh, vaccine kind of amounted to. In fact, if you look further, um, context is key here. It is and, and I will say to start, the primary goal of every single vaccine in the history of vaccines is to do two major things, to prevent you from being terribly sick and hospitalized from that disease, and to prevent you from dying. And this does that exceedingly well. It is 100% effective at keeping people out of the hospital. It is 100% effective at keeping people from dying. It's 85% effective at keeping people from, from developing severe illness. Mm. Those are huge, huge milestones, huge triumphs in this data. On top of the fact that if we remember back from spring of 2020, what year is it now? Um, you know, our goals for this vaccine, for all the vaccines was like 50%. So every single vaccine so far that's received an EUA has exceeded that goal. Um, on top of the fact that you, a, a good way to think about it is, uh, you know, when J&J &J was under trials, um, when trials were underway, it was kind of like the test was harder. Variants were already circulating in a number of these places, including Brazil and South Africa, and even here in the US. And that's when the trials were happening. So context is key here, right? Pfizer and Moderna kind of had an easier go at it because they weren't dealing with, you know, reinfections or variant mm -hmm. infections, etc. So when you compare them, it's it's not it's not necessarily like 66 compared to 95. It's kind of all of the pieces of the puzzle together. And I will say this till I'm blue in the face. The best vaccine for you is the one that is immediately available. If you are offered any of these three vaccines, take them. They are safe. They are effective. They're going to keep you out of the hospital and out of a grave too soon. Yeah. Or like I say, get them all, you know, put them all in one drink. <laughs> I think it's Please called doing... Fail. Yeah. It's ironically called doing a suicide, I think, where you just go to the <laughs> fountain and you get, you know, Coke, Sprite, everything all in one, right? Yeah, no, not for this. Please, no. Okay, one at a time. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
I also want to pause here and just remind Bad Science listeners, my bad scientists, we will talk about Monsters, Inc. It's a fun Pixar <laughs> movie for kids. Uh, I want to get into it. I just saw it last night for the first time. What? Oh, my gosh. I know. I feel insane for not having seen it before. It's always been on my list. And then little did I know, 20 years go by. And here I am watching it for the first time. I loved it. I do want to get into it. But this stuff is very important to me. And it should be important to you. Because if it's not, I guess you're already vaccinated. I don't know. Um, okay. So Mimi, I don't know if you've heard about this, but here in LA, there's been some people that have been basically like hanging out outside of a Rite Aid. Yes. You, you know what yeah. I'm talking about? Like yeah. waiting for vaccines that are going to get thrown out. And then I guess they just open their mouths in front of the trash can. <laughs> so yeah, Jessica, what is the what is the rule there? Because to me, it's like, they're they're doing a, a good thing. Like vaccines should never be thrown out. Yes. But but yet it also seems sketch. Like it seems like a yeah. backdoor deal. So yeah, where do we land on that? Yeah, I mean they're calling these people like vaccine chasers, folks that are like knowing the places that typically have no shows or uh, you know cancellations and may have a surplus of vaccines. I mean, I I stand by a vaccine in an arm is a good thing regardless, right? Um, but do I think that that should enable people to circumvent the system to use codes that are intended for communities of color and therefore cut the line absolutely not and i think that is a great injustice and further perpetuates the disparities that we're seeing and how badly this pandemic is affecting our communities however we don't have a good system in place to make sure that we don't waste doses. Uh, there are some places that are doing the best that they can to, um, you know, uh, provide them to people who are in the neighborhood or people who may not have uh, direct access to the internet or know that they can get a vaccine, you know, a few blocks away. But there are some, and I know people who have actually done that and have been able to get a vaccine. I also know folks who have friends who work at clinics or pharmacies or even long-term care facilities who said, hey, we've got a few extra doses. Can you be here in 30 minutes before it expires? I would rather that be in somebody's arm. Um, but again, if it if it is in any way perpetuating the kind of fact that less people of color are having access to vaccines because people who are non, uh, you know, people of color are jumping the line, then that is not okay. So Mimi, why are you doing this? Why are you <laughs> underground? Like, I don't, yeah, it, I don't approve of it. It doesn't sound like Jessica does. Like, I'll tell you, it's taking up a lot of manpower to organize all those Google Excel sheets just to figure out where these places are. It's just a huge drain on time. Yeah, you could be doing other stuff. Yeah, um, I could be watching Monsters, Inc. You could be watching Monsters University. <laughs> Mimi, I assume you have not been vaccinated. So like me, you might be wondering, how can we do this? Jessica, who do you yeah. know? How can you hook us up? Where should we go? Wait, I'll wait outside. I'll show up at three in the morning if I can get one of these trash vaccines. Yeah, I don't know, honestly. Like, I have a friend who waited at a place kind of somewhere in the valley in LA and they got one, but they waited four hours and then their partner went the next day and they shooed them away and said, We don't do that. It, it, I, it's mm. all kind of anecdotal evidence at this point. I don't wow. think, and there are a number of like tech bros who have started these websites that are like trying to give people notifications of leftover vaccines. I've yet to see those become really effective. What I will plug is vaccinefinder.org is a great website mm. to find out places that have available, uh, you know, appointments and available doses at local pharmacies. It is supposed to be uh, available for all the jurisdictions in the U.S. And it's getting more and more detailed as the day goes as the days go by. So I would recommend wow. going to an official source like that um, before you try to like just drive around looking for Walgreens that people are loitering at. 
Okay, then that's vaccine. What was it? Finder.org. Yeah. Vaccinefinder.org. Um, yeah, it's or... going to tell you based on your eligibility. So it's not going to be like a fast track or kind of bypassing the way that your jurisdiction's phases are laid out. Like if you are still in a phase that is not eligible, it's not going to allow you to make an appointment. Got you. Okay. And yeah, so um... you'll still receive yours within the appropriate timeline. Correct. Without taking it away from someone. Correct. That's very good to know. Yeah. Excellent. And our producer, Emily, is also telling me that you can volunteer as a non-medical volunteer at the vaccine site. You can get a vaccine that way. That is correct. I know people who have done that, too, and I think that is totally fair. Okay. Excellent Very point, cool. Emily. As usual, she is on the game. And of course, if you don't want to go to vaccinefinder.org and you want kind of a more kind of cool, sleek, hip way of finding it, I will be releasing an app um, either... <laughs> trashvaccines.com yeah. or tra or vaccine dumpster i haven't decided yet but just search the app store you'll find it trash vaccine also a great name for like a punk rock band oh my god very much great so. call trash right? vaccine trash vax Tr oh god and then they could the fans can be called the vaxxers so it. it's already I love it how does that not exist already it probably does <laughs> also you can get a very angry letter being like how dare you <laughs> I mean, it would be so just, you know, on brand for this <laughs> punk band to send an angry letter. It's probably all they do. And I'd love to hear a clip, by the way. I don't want to offend them. If you, if there is a punk band out there and it's called Trash Vaccine, let's just insert a clip of that right here. And on that note, when we get back, we will be discussing Monsters, Inc. right after this. The break is over. Here we go. Back to the show about science. Okay, guys, we're back. We're talking about Monsters, Inc., and that's all we've been talking about for the entire <laughs> podcast. Uh, a large part of this movie featured the Child Detection Agency. I believe I have that correct, the CDA. Mm -hmm. They very aggressively handle a monster that gets exposed to a child's sock. And so I, I was curious if you've seen some stark similarities with how the CDC will, uh, you know, have infection control protocols with people that have been exposed, potentially. You know, there is a protocol if there's been an ex a confirmed exposure. And I have never been a disease detective with the CDC, but I know some people who have. And when there is a confirmed exposure, they don't take it lightly. Um, I did actually last night when I watched it again, um, I had to like Google 2319 because it was just mentioned so many times. <laughs> and I don't know if you saw like one of the fan theories is that it means white sock because of the 23rd and the 19th letter are tw or W and S. Oh my God. Which is just what? like, if that's true, then I like, I'm, I'm not doing my job right. Like I'm not doing, I'm not really that critical of a thinker. <laughs> I can't figure that out. But like the fact that it's the white sock that is repeatedly the issue uh, is just so funny to me. And I understand when things are serious like that, like a exposure, then you got to do your decontamination. You got to take that shower in the lab and make sure that anything that you touched is, you know, washed down. Mm -hmm. And they don't take it seriously, especially if you're in one of those like BSL-4s or BSL-3 even, a biosafety lab that has like super high, you're dealing with like the really intense stuff like Ebola or other hemorrhagic fevers. Mm -hmm. um, it's no joke. Decon is no joke. Speaking of no joke, you mentioned disease detectives. Are these people just like on a high horse? They think they're the coolest people in the world with that title? I mean... They are the coolest people in the world with that title. Mm. That's just true. Oh, okay. So it's kind of like they earned it. It's kind of like how they say Miles Davis is kind of a prick, but you're like, yeah, but it's Miles <laughs> Davis. It's like. <laughs> I mean, I, I have a friend who did it for a while and, you know, the, the work is not always glamorous. It's kind of like going to really 
interesting places and dealing with really gross things at times. And so it's not the most chic job, but it's definitely badass. Wow. Okay. Our hats are off to all those disease detectives uh, listening. Yeah. Thank you for your service. Our fedoras are off. Our, I think that's what yeah. detectives wear. Um, yeah. Okay. And trench coats. Our, hey, listen, our trench coats are <laughs> off for all these disease detectives. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's what, that's what detectives do when the national anthem comes on. Yeah, they just lower a shoulder out of their trench coat. <laughs> they lower a shoulder. It's a little flirtatious. Yeah. yeah, a little bit, you know. A little bit. Um, okay, and then I wanted to ask about the sustainable energy uh, comparisons in this movie because they are... Oh, God, yes. Right? They're generating energy via screams and then via laughter. I mean, I know that we have mm -hmm. solar power, we have wind power, but how did that land with you? Well, I missed the first few times that I watched it back in the day that like when they are walking to work, uh, Sully mentions the like shortage and he's like, no, we're going to walk to work because there's an energy shortage. I'm like, oh my gosh, less cars on the road. Like that was such a great message 20 years ago. Yep. You know, oh, I know we did not listen to that. It's definitely there's like some fable elements when you're rewatching it now. And it's like, you know, those Pixar guys, they're up in Northern California. They're crunching around. They probably had the first electric cars. Mm -hmm. um, but I completely, I, the exact same thing, Jessica, like there's so many details that I missed that I was like, oh, they're really like painting a picture of how this is not a sustainable energy source. Yeah. And so we can't just scream or laugh into our laptops and not worry about charging it or... If only. I mean, I feel like the sounds from my house alone between my two kids could like power the whole city. <laughs> well, we got to get on this. I, I read briefly that uh, Nikola Tesla studied how sound could be converted into energy, but I guess it wasn't uh, fruitful enough for us to actually start using it. You know, Nikola Tesla had so many ideas that we'll never fully know because of all of his stuff getting burned down. I am so fascinated by Nikola Tesla, honestly. And I learned about him first from a drunk history episode, which oh. I never, I haven't forgotten about it. It sparked your interest? It really did. I went on a deep dive. Well, I feel like we could do one of those movies soon because there, I think there's been a couple now of like Tesla based movies recently, yeah. which I haven't seen and I'd like to because he fascinates me as well. Yeah. Um, okay, so I got to ask about the mask information. I have one of the uh, KN95 uh, masks, mm -hmm. but I've been told there's other ones that are better. And I've been told some people say you should double them because I'll, I'll go out with, you know, that mask and then like a cloth mask over it. Some people say don't double it. So where, where do you where, what do I do with these masks? Yeah, so the recommendation right now is if you don't have a KN95 that you should double mask with either surgical um, and a cloth or two cloth masks. And the whole point of that is just to create layers of protection and a better fit. So think of fit and filtration as the two primary goals here. If you're wearing a KN95, those typically have a really good fit, really high filtration. Uh, so you don't need to double mask with a KN95. The only issue with a KN95 is that you're sourcing it from a place that's not selling counterfeits. And there are, you know, ways to kind of identify fakes and, and legit KN95s. But if you're wearing a surgical mask, one of the benefits of that is that it has the nose bridge, it's really lightweight, has good filtration. And then if you put a cloth mask over that, it's actually quite comfortable. It doesn't reduce any kind of breathability. And, um, you know, I want people to understand too, the reason for this is just because we're dealing with variants. And it's not that the variants have changed so much that they're now penetrating masks. It's that we just don't want to risk people potentially getting sick right now at this critical time. And it might mean that when they say the disease is more transmissible, it could mean that like 
your infectious period and meaning the time of the period of time in which you are shedding infectious virus to others could be a little bit longer than previous. So because of that, we just want people to be extra safe and protect uh, themselves from exposing themselves or exposing others. I mean, I think I should be fine. I got my KN95 mask from a Nigerian prince. Yeah. So I think those are usually good. Yeah, <laughs> I think it should be okay. They don't lie about that kind of stuff. You know, that's a princely quality is just to tell the truth. <laughs> Jessica, can I ask you a mask question? Yeah, that I feel kind of embarrassed to ask. But I always feel if I've worn a mask outside once, like I immediately, especially if it's a cloth mask, need to wash it. I get nervous if I'm going in and out of the house twice a day to reuse the same mask. Like how, how much should I worry about it kind of resting on the material. <laughs> Does that make sense? Not a silly question at all. I think that's a legitimate question. And I think that the the way that I have been kind of handling my own masks and even encouraging others is to treat them like undies. You change your undies once a day, change your mask once a day. Mm. I think if you're going in and out uh, in a day and you're not just kind of like constantly handling it, um, I think it's fine to use one mask a day. That's why I think it's a good idea to have several cloth masks that so you can toss them in the laundry and have enough for the for the week. Great. Thank you. That's yeah, amazing. Not silly at all. Mimi, if you have any other, you know, potentially embarrassing questions, please. <laughs> oh, my God. And a lot of them aren't even like virus related. They're just like, I mean, Jessica, what should I be doing with my life? <laughs> I don't know if I can help with that. <laughs> might need more time. <laughs> okay, so some, you know, people have been, let's be honest, a little bit more lax in the, you know, later months of the pandemic, right? So some people are like, hanging out indoors with like doors open or windows open and, you know, masked up. I was in a situation where I had to excuse myself because I felt socially awkward. I don't know if you guys have experienced anything like this, but like, you know, we were inside, there were doors open, windows open uh, for a very short period of time. But other people that were in there, two other people that I was with, did not have masks on and I didn't know how to say anything about it. So I departed. Yeah, I've done that just skedaddled just walked out yeah i mean i I just Mm -hmm. don't it's not a joke you know it's not like a you do you you know we can kind of exist doing our own things like if if there is a context especially indoors in which people are refusing to wear masks i don't think that that is a safe space um the only context in which that is appropriate is if those are people in your household and you are in your house right um i think that a lot of people find you know ways to bend the rules as a way to kind of like make it more bearable and i get it pandemic fatigue is real this is exhausting this is extremely tiring it gets old um but it should not come at the cost of other people's safety so i think that you know when you're doing things like that to be mindful of your surroundings be mindful of the community that you're the people that you're sharing that space with if you are only with people in your household that's a different that's a different situation but not when there's others around yeah everyone stop being mean to me okay just uh, look out for bully me. Bully Ethan. <laughs> yeah, stop bullying <laughs> He's me. He's had a rough go of it. <laughs> I really haven't. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. The break is over. Here we go. Back to the show about science. Um. Okay, what about the summer? Everyone, I think, is now talking about the optimism for the summer, that America might have a normal-ish summer. I know you were saying that you're optimistic. Is that too optimistic or is that realistic? I mean, if you're going to make plans, I think it's probably a good idea to hold loosely to them, make them buy refundable tickets just in case 
start planning loosely for these outdoor gatherings, potentially like Labor Day barbecues or something, maybe even 4th of July, if we're being super optimistic. But again, like nothing is guaranteed because as, as it goes with the data, there's a lag in everything, right? And the decisions that we make today affect the data in the coming weeks. The decisions that we make today in the next coming months will affect how things are trending in the next several weeks and months. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it all kind of depends on the domino effect of our choices, our individual choices, our choices as communities, our choices as policy is being made. And so I am concerned, especially now seeing statewide uh, policies like this and now Texas and Mississippi, um, that we could potentially be at the risk of another surge. And that is exactly what we are trying to avoid. We're, we're kind of at this crossroads, right, where we Everything is a bit fragile. We need to keep vaccinations up. We need to keep transmission down. And it's this fine dance between like which one's going to win or at least get the leg up. And we can't afford letting our guard down when the end really is in sight. Oh, Texas and Mississippi. <laughs> what do we do with you? I thought we raised you right. Hasn't Texas been through enough? Yeah. Um, okay. Well, that's, that's good to know. And and real quick, um, just sum up how those portals work, the doors into the kids' rooms. <laughs> yeah, just real casual. I have no idea. I mean, honestly, like when I was watching it again, there, the inconsistency was starting to really annoy me. <laughs> the like, why is it active when she laughs inside that like crazy roller coaster place of all the doors, but then like not active unless he gets the like clamp right when he's trying to get her into the simulation. Right. Like it doesn't make a lot of sense. Also, why can they go from like different places? Yes. Oh, yeah. You know, like mm -hmm. how are they going to like Japan and then a beach and then back into Boo's room? But then they got like banished to the Himalayas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why are all of a sudden these doors, any door they're able to pass through? And we yeah. can, if, if Boo can exit through the door. That means it's not like they have some sort of monster magic that allows them the ability to move through the portals of the door. Well, and, and that brings me to another point, too, of like, okay, this whole kids are the most toxic. Like, he had this whole spiel, like, nothing is more deadly than a kid, right? Was that based on any evidence? Was that based on, like, a contamination that happened in the past? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, one time a kid got out and five monsters died. That didn't happen, right? Yeah. Unless... Or maybe it didn't. We just didn't know. But like, obviously, Boo's not toxic. Obviously, kids are not toxic. Right. But yet they still have these policies. I just think that's really sus. Yeah. I mean, if anything, you would think they would want kids in their world because it powers their goods. Yeah. Their, their tools. Right. You would think that they would probably want to kidnap them. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which is terrible. <laughs> But it's like very much on their terms. Like right. who's not toxic when they need her screams? Right. But yes. she's toxic if it's like one of her songs. You know what? Come on. I don't. Some, something's fishy is happening yeah. in Monstropolis. That's my take. Yep. I also really want to know what happened to the Loch Ness Monster and the abominable snowman. Like, what, what did they do to get banished? Yes. And also, if you're a company, why is the company responsible for banishing people? Right. Great it's questions. It's not the government, but the government is the company. That's like oh, crazy. But it's also been in Mr. Waterdeuce's family for three generations. I'm really stuck on that one fact. I'm going to keep working back to it. Yeah, and then just I'm goes really to Sullivan. Stuck. Then he's in charge. I, it looks. It seems like. Yeah. But then the CDA was like secretly operating within the company with right with one. Yes, very. I somehow missed that. I like. I guess I feel like I stopped paying attention in some scenes years ago and forgot about this whole like inside good plot. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot going on. You get so caught up in the 
chemistry between oh, John 100%. I just wanted Blair to hear Bo say Kitty a hundred times. I know. There's no cuter, like, in, in terms of non-animal Disney characters, it doesn't get cuter. Yeah. No, than absolutely Boo. correct. They distracted absolutely. us with cuteness. Meanwhile, there's all this weird symbolic plot stuff going on in the background. Yep. Government agencies. Yep. A lot of weird behind-the-scenes things, but I, I gotta say, guys, I found one really fun science-adjacent fact. Can I share yeah, it? Yeah, please. Yes, please. Great. When we were watching it last night, I kept noticing that every time they go to do the little key card to make the door active, which, as Jessica pointed out, you know, plot hole city, <laughs> but there's a button that they press and it says F-I-Z-T. And it just like kept sticking in my head. And then I did like a cheeky little Google mm. of, you know, what's going on with Monsters, Inc. Just to like get some fun, you know, fun facts. And then I found out that the name of the tool that they use to animate the fur, which was like big news at the time. I don't know if you guys remember this. They were like so proud of how they oh, animated yeah. that. And fur. it looked great. The name of the tool is called F-I-Z-T. Visit. Oh my gosh. Yes, you're it's right. it's a physics tool. Wow. Visit. So it's like a quickie way of saying it. And then I Googled it because I was like, well, you know, these these Pixar people, they don't miss a gosh darn thing like the 2319. Mm -hmm. I'm sure someone else has clocked it, but I couldn't find anything. And I felt so proud that it gave me the confidence to get on this podcast and talk <laughs> to probably the smartest person I've ever talked to. <laughs> so, well, thank you for saying that about me. <laughs> that's what's carried me through the last 40 minutes. <laughs> that's incredible. That one fact. So good. That's great. And I mean, both of you had ma have made me feel a lot less stupid because I thought the plot hole thing was just something that I missed or that the doors was explained and I didn't get it. And I was just sitting over here like, man, I'm such a schmuck for not real. Like this is a kid's movie. <laughs> um, okay. So we, we are short on time. The only other thing I wanted to mention, because some people were talking about this online was the Pixar theory. You guys know about this? I mean, uh, about Monsters, Inc. or in general? In general. I don't know much about it, but there's a Pixar theory. I just wanted to pose it to you guys in case you were Pixar nuts, that all the Pixar movies are connected somehow, that they're all in the same universe. Yeah, I mean, there was like a little Easter egg in there where it went, one of the doors that was open, you could see a clownfish. Mm -hmm. Did you notice that? Yep. Yeah, and she hands him a bunch of Pixar-themed toys yes, at one point. Jesse from Toy Story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So conspiracy I mean, city that makes sense. <laughs> i mean did you notice the tabloid and all the conspiracies on there i thought that was a delicious nod to like misinformation oh no i didn't notice that i gotta go back and look it's um it's whenever one is reading that tabloid and it has like baby born with five heads parents thrilled <laughs> troll attacks photographer <laughs> it's like actually so and the tabloid is called glob oh, which is so good that's really good <laughs> damn no i didn't see that that is really good oh yeah it was just right after they said miss miss uh what was it miss fearmonger is on vacation it, it felt very validating to the work that i do to debunk misinfo yes well speaking of which jessica thanks again for joining us where can people find you 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 do some great work to keep us all educated and informed on what's going on yeah i'm on instagram at jessica Malati rivera my full name and then at twitter at jessica Malati. Excellent. Okay. Thank you for the ongoing work. I, I salute you with a shoulder out of my trench coat. Um, <laughs> Mimi Von Schack, Truly, Jessica. You keep the world entertained. Where can people find you? Oh, man. I'd rather send people to Jessica because she's got better information. Great. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm on Instagram. <laughs> I'm on Instagram, but 
my goodness, thank you so much, Jessica, for everything you're doing. And and I'm right there with Ethan. Both my shoulders are out wow. shimmying away. Double yeah. shoulder. That's huge. Yeah, that's how grateful I am. <laughs> that's that's really impressive. Um, so yeah, I mean, follow Mimi Von Shack for all of Jessica's. She's gonna be reposting everything that Jessica's <laughs> posting. So it's check just, that out. It, my a handle is at OHMYMVS, but I'm going to just change it to like a Jessica Stan account <laughs> fan page. <laughs> and it'll just be like fan cams of Jessica. <laughs> That's great. It's just like the same stuff that she's posting, but worse quality. <laughs> With like bad graphics. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Um, Seriously, thank you both for taking the time talking with me today about this wonderful film. And uh, I hope you have a very wonderful and safe rest of your pandemic. And hopefully in the summer, we can all eat, uh, you know, hot dogs and fries on the 4th of July together. Very close to each other's faces, too. Yeah, exactly. Like (laughs) sharing the same French fry as the fireworks go off. If only. (laughs) All right. See you next time. Bye bye. Bad Science is a Seeker podcast produced by Emily Feld and me, Ethan Edinburgh. Our editor is Lucas Bollinger, and our social media is managed by Blue Whale Media. Shout out to EJ and Kate. The executive producer, doors, get it, door, there's a lot of doors in the, is Brett Kushner. Oh, follow us on Instagram at Bad Science Pod. If there's a movie you'd like us to discuss on the podcast, feel free to email at badscienceatseeker.com. That's badscienceatseeker.com. And please leave us an iTunes review. Give us five stars. I sound like an Uber driver. But it does help. It makes sure people know about the podcast, which we really appreciate. Thanks for listening. Bye.